Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Roy Reichback. He's the CEO at Phoenix Real-Time Solutions. Roy, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Kevin. Appreciate the opportunity to speak to you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you guys are doing at Phoenix Real-Time Solutions is really innovative and cool, but maybe before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. Um, I, I grew up in, in New York, the suburbs of New York City. Very cool. Um, yeah. Spent, uh, yeah, I spent pretty much my entire life in New York. Uh, just moved actually recently to North Carolina, where okay. the weather's a lot nicer than it is in New York. Sure, sure. Uh, beautiful area, too. I, I got to spend uh, some time in North Carolina a few years ago around like Durham, but um, beautiful area. Not Not what I expected, but I was like, not that I thought it was going to be bad or anything, but it just, it was like way different than what I expected it to be, yeah. but in a good way. So. That's cool. Um, so you went to university. What did you take and why? Sure. I, I studied at, uh, at Fordham University in the Bronx in New York. Uh, my undergraduate degree is in economics okay. <clears throat> and uh, had some uh, desire to go onto Wall Street, but uh, also had a, a, a desire to, uh, to become a lawyer. And that, that predominated ultimately. And so I wound up going to Fordham Law School at Lincoln Center in Manhattan. Okay. And uh, graduated there and, and started uh, practicing law in New York City. Interesting. So was there a defining moment or something uh, growing up that got you passionate about law? I loved Perry Mason when I was a kid. Okay, sure. And I think uh, <laughs> I, I think those uh, those trial scenes and, and, and frankly, a, a lot of movies around, you know, trial lawyers and things like that piqued my interest. Uh, I also always liked to talk, liked to be on my feet felt very comfortable in that environment. So I thought uh, <clears throat> those things meshed. I also did a lot of theater when I was younger. And so I was very comfortable being on my feet, doing improv and things like that. And so, uh, you know, those skill sets are, are useful as a trial lawyer, which is what I wound up doing. Um, wound up being a trial lawyer for a number of years, uh, commercial litigation, you know, one company suing another and, and wound up, uh, ultimately going in-house for one of my larger clients, which was a software company called Computer Associates, which okay. is based on Long Island, and uh, went in-house to manage their litigation portfolio worldwide. Wow, cool. Okay, uh, keep going, and, sorry. Yeah, sure, and that was my <clears throat> my first foray into the world of technology, uh, and uh, really started to get a foothold to understand uh, not only you know, what technology can do, but the business of technology. And so uh, I spent uh, about a half a dozen years uh, doing that when uh, the founder and, and chairman of Computer Associates bought the New York Islanders Hockey Club oh, wow. and uh, asked me and another fellow at, at CA to go run the team on the business side day to day. And um, I tell everybody I was a sports fan long before I was a lawyer. So it took me a millisecond to say yes. Um, <laughs> I wound up as the general counsel of the New York Islanders and sat on the NHL Board of Governors for the club, which is sort of like the board of directors for the league. Um, and uh, while I was doing that, 
Charles Wong, who was that gentleman, uh, started doing a whole bunch of other things, investing in a bunch of different technologies, real estate, various other things. And I was intimately involved in every one of those transactions, those deals and, and those businesses and sort of morphed more into a business person uh, than a lawyer over time. And uh, you know, interestingly, one of the companies that he invested in was uh, a startup technology company founded by his wife. Uh, the company was called New Lion. And okay. New Lion had built a platform for delivery of video for sports, uh, live sports in particular, and uh, built things like NHL Game Center Live, oh, NBA wow. League Pass, NFL Game Pass, UFC.TV, a whole bunch of others. Um, I was their pro bono lawyer when they started um, because they couldn't afford one. And the boss asked me to help them out. Um, <laughs> and when the boss asked you to help his wife out, you help his wife out. Fair enough. So, uh, I... I, I did their work and you know consulted with them on various things. And then in 2008, uh, New Line had the opportunity to become a public company by merging with a company traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange called Jump TV. Um, ah, at that interesting. Point, and you know, I, I don't know if you if you recall them from yep, your time. I do, so, totally. And so um, at that point, I was told New Line was now going to become my day job and the Islanders and everything else I did would be part-time. Okay. Um, I became the general counsel of New Lion, sat on the public company board, and then ultimately became the CEO of New Lion and uh, helped that company grow. Uh, we ultimately sold it in, in a go private transaction with a company called Endeavor, uh, run by Ari Emanuel, uh, who Rob Emanuel's brother you might be familiar with. Yeah. Um, and uh, we sold that in 2018, at which point I retired. Okay. And um, I was sitting on the sidelines and doing some consulting, watching a bit of TV, and uh, got a phone call asking if I had any interest in running another technology company. Right? You know, there's a lot of technology companies, a lot of video streaming companies, and I asked a very important question. I said, with all of that out there, what's the hook for Phoenix? Okay. And I was told Phoenix can deliver a real-time video stream, sub-half-second latency, completely synchronized to broadcast scale audiences. And frankly, um, based upon my experience in the streaming space, I found it a bit hard to believe. Um, I, I tell everyone that it was good it was a phone call because the person on the other end who sits on the board of Phoenix didn't see my eyes roll in the back of my head when he told me what Phoenix <laughs> could do. Um, but I was, I was intrigued because I clearly saw an opportunity if someone could do those things for huge changes in the video streaming ecosystem. 100%. And um, I uh, did some research. I'm not a technologist, as you can tell from my background. I have more of a, a business and legal background than anything else. Um, yeah, I, I hope that I learn things relatively quickly and can translate them to others, but, uh, but writing code would not be my thing. And um, so I used what I what I say is I put my lawyer's hat back on. I use circumstantial evidence to sort of assess what I was what I was seeing. And um, when I met Phoenix's founder, Stefan Beerer, I was thoroughly impressed. Um, the most thoughtful, reasoned engineer that I had come across uh, understood what he had done to build the platform uh, that is the Phoenix platform, and. Um, believe that he could do what he said he could do. Um, but as importantly as that, 
a couple of other things that were, were really relevant to my thinking. One was uh, our chief product officer, Bill Wishon, had come from a decade at Akamai and spent a bunch of time there in the CTO's office. One of the projects he had been working on there was a desire to move to a real-time streaming platform. Uh, um, and, you know, Akamai and most others have failed, you know, relatively miserably at trying to do that. Uh, Bill joining Phoenix after kicking the tires on Phoenix's tech stack gave me a good deal of comfort that um, we were able to do what we said we were doing. And then th the other thing was, um, just as I was joining, uh, we were adding a new board member, Darren Fair, who had been the chief technology officer at NBC Universal and wow. had also been the CEO at uh, Conviva and had real tech chops. And my belief was that Darren would not join uh, Phoenix's board and get out over his skis if he didn't believe in the tech. Right. Well, putting all those things together and then seeing that, you know, we had some use cases, some customers um, in certain verticals that were already using the technology and very happy with it. All of those things led me to believe that, in fact, this was a platform that had a huge potential uh, from a commercial, a commercial perspective and in, in terms of changing the landscape of video streaming. No. Okay. Interesting. So walk us through what exactly is Phoenix and how does it work without getting too technical? Sure. Well, you're asking the right person. Then. <laughs> so Phoenix has built a platform for the delivery of live video okay. in sub half second latency at scale and completely synchronized. The underpinnings of the platform are WebRTC. So if you're familiar with video streaming, most video streaming today is utilizing HLS or Dash. Um, and in a very simple way to explain um, what those formats do or those protocols do is they require you to chunk video. In, in essence, right. take small chunks of video, maybe three seconds, two seconds, four seconds, the CDN will collect or content delivery network like an Akamai or a level three or a limelight or, or others will collect those chunks from the source. They will hold them until they have enough of those chunks to be comfortable that they can stream in a consistent fashion such that if they lose, they lose contact with the source for a period of time, they'll still be able to stream without interruption. Wow. And that starts you with what's, what we all talk about is latency. Right. Um, by holding, let's say, three or four chunks of video at two or three seconds apiece, you're starting from a period of latency of eight to 12 seconds. Right. And then once they get that, there's a lot of workflow that's, that, you know, that's involved, and that adds incremental latency all the way through from that ingest of the video all the way through play out on your device. And what we see in most instances is latency from the field of play of anywhere from 30 to 50 seconds wow. by most, most streaming providers. What Stefan Beer and our, our engineering team took upon itself to do was to start with a different protocol, and that's WebRTC. WebRTC, RTC stands for real-time communication. It's built by Google. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of the bets that Stefan and the team made 
when they started out to build the Phoenix platform was that they could re-architect WebRTC to allow it to scale. WebRTC is built for speed, not for scaling. It's what we use for things like uh, video chat on a Zoom or a Google Hangout or Microsoft Teams. Uh, we see it all the time and it's, it's, it's very functional in terms of allowing one-to-one or two-to-two or three-to-three type communication. Uh, we see each other in real time, we interact with each other in real time, and, um, and that works really, really well. Where you see it fall off is when you start to try to deliver those video streams, both synchronized and at scale. And by scaling, you know, WebRTC is historically not known to be able to scale into the tens of thousands. And that eliminates its use case for most broadcast type use cases. Um, so what Stefan bet on was that he and the team could re-architect, meaning rewrite a whole host of the WebRTC code to allow it to scale, to create an enterprise solution, if you will. The other bet that he made was that WebRTC would become an adopted protocol such that it would be available and recognized by every browser um, that would be populated in the ecosystem. And the reason for that is, as, as you know, if, if you have to download, you know, additional plugins for any type of application these days, uh, yeah. that's sort of the death knell for that application. Totally. And so you, you have to be able to connect directly to a browser without any, any involvement by the user whatsoever. And um, Stefan was, was, a, was a good wagerer, if you will. Um, number one, you know, WebRTC now is an adopted protocol. It is the standard for real-time streaming. Um, it's, uh, it's just a handshake now with every browser. And then the other piece was the bet on his own abilities, the team's abilities to allow what, what, what we've done to take place, namely the re-architecting WebRTC. So if you look at Phoenix's platform on a left-to-right continuum, on the left, it looks like WebRTC when it just starts out. On the right, when it connects to your browser, it looks like WebRTC. And so right. therefore, it, it's just a handshake to be, to be able to play out on your device. However, the entire middle portion of that platform, if you will, is a re-architected WebRTC. It is the Phoenix technology. It's 2 million plus lines of code that wow. have been written to allow Phoenix, the Phoenix platform, if you will, to scale, to be synchronized, to do all of the other things that are necessary to deliver a, a, a real video experience that one would expect today uh, based upon what's out there in the marketplace. Interesting. Okay. <clears throat> so obviously what you just outlined is super important with sports. Like nobody wants to see the winning goal 30 seconds later than somebody at the real stadium, right? Because it can cause a bunch of not only just like it's not as enjoyable, there's a bunch of kind of betting and a bunch of other kind of issues that can come along with that. Do you want to talk about some of those? Sure. I mean, sports is one of the uh, one of the go to conversation points for real time streaming. So, you know, you touched on it in the first instance, which is the spoiler effect. And that spoiler effect is worse today than it's ever been in that there are more ways in which we receive information than we've historically. Um, you know, it, it's it's kind of funny. Um, you talk to a lot of folks in Europe when they're watching right. their football, right, or, or soccer. And, you know, people in different buildings or different hallways 
are getting uh, the results at different times. They talk about it all the time that way. You know, my experience generally is is around, frankly, is around hockey. You know, I, I remain a big Islanders fan. And my, uh, my fourth uh, child, my daughter, who's at UCLA, is the biggest hockey fan in our household. And she and I still watch games, uh, not physically together, but at the same time, or what we think is the same time. And unfortunately, um, I have to watch myself because I will be watching on cable while she's streaming. Right. And I'm seeing it in 10 or 12 seconds of latency, and she's seeing it in 45 seconds of latency. And I sometimes spoil the event for her. I will, you know, I'll, I'll type in something like Barzell, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. And she'll write back to me, did he score? <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, you know, the uh, it, it does ruin the experience. And, and the truth is sports is a shared experience and right. having people be able to interact and engage around sports content is so important. Um, you know, I think I believe that ultimately we'll get to the point where all sports delivery is going to be in real time. It's going to take, you know, years and years for that to occur because, you know, there's so much money have been spent on broadcast infrastructure and, you know, dealing with the eight to 10 seconds of latency that you get from broadcast. Um, it's not going to be easy to change that, but we're going to start peeling away piece by piece in different use cases um, where ultimately the consumer is going to demand a real time video experience. Um, and then, you know, once you get out of just the pure play sports video issue is when streaming of sports um, you get into things like sports gambling. Right. Um, and right now for most sports gambling, and it's still relatively early stage in the U.S. in particular, um, no one watches the video and bets on what they're watching because that video is latent, right? It's delayed. Right. What they're betting on is data, which is coming in essentially in real time. We have the ability to power those things together and to create an experience where the end user, the gambler, is able to bet on every play in an NFL game wow. because they're seeing the data and the video simultaneously. And, you know, they're able to, to see Patrick Mahomes, you know, in the huddle and make a decision right then and there as to whether or not the Kansas City Chiefs are going to get a first down on the next play. Will that play... Uh, end in a touchdown, will it end in a turnover? If it's a turnover, will it be an interception or a fumble? There's so many permutations and combinations. And I think not just from a pure betting perspective, but also from what we call gamification or some, you know, fantasy type yeah. engagement, uh, the ability to drive a real time solution is the next generation of, of that interactivity. Um, if you think about it, and I use, <clears throat> being a New Yorker, I, I use the Yankees in, as an example. Um, if you're watching the Yankees on the, on the Yes Network, and the Yankees are losing 10-2 to 2 in the seventh inning, odds are you're likely to turn the game off, right? right? You find other things to do. However, if you have the ability to bet on every pitch in that game, yeah. and decide whether Aaron Judge is going to hit a home run on the next pitch, and you you've got sort of a... Um, a, a gamification product that you're working on. I mean, you could have it where you're gambling, but you could also have it on the Yes Network where they have their own app 
which allows you to have a certain number of points that start every game, week, or season. Yeah. And you play against everyone else that's a Yes Network subscriber, where at the end of either that game, that week, that month, that season, you win a prize based upon your position, you know, in the standings. Um, there's a ton of stuff and a lot of engagement that can be around that real-time opportunity because in the in the seventh inning, when the Yankees are down 10-2, there's still things for you to do that are engaging. Right. And give you an opportunity to interact with that content. And, and truthfully, for the, the regional sports networks, the RSNs, um, they could provide a lot of prizes that cost them essentially nothing, right? right. Things like for, for lower level victories, things like, you know, two tickets to a game or, you know, two hot dogs and a soda, or it could get up to where they win a month or a season long contest where they get, you know, a signed Aaron Judge jersey, uh, a trip with the Chicago Cubs on the Cubs plane to, you know, on the road for, for a game or two. Right. right? But things where they can, incentivize and engage their fans at a much higher level sure well and then you know who your your super fans are and like you just pointed out you could reward them like if you're number one or maybe you pick the top three or whatever get to go on like a private plane with the team like how many people would love that people would pay probably a lot of money to do that right and they do and i and i can tell you from my experience with the islanders we would raffle off a road trip with the team uh, at an event each year. And we would wind up, you know, adding a second one because right. it was so popular. Um, and and the, the ability for your average fan who can't afford, you know, to win that in an auction, yeah. you know, I yeah. mean, those auctions are for charity. So it's, it's great. And, and it's a good thing that clubs do those kind of things, but the average fan is excluded from that opportunity. Yeah. Right? This would now create, you know, those real, what, what I would say, those real fans, right? The, the folks that watch every game, that, yeah. that are invested in the team on, on a daily basis, give them the opportunity to, to win something, to, to engage at just a higher level. And, and I, I think, you know, generates a ton of ROI down the road for the RSN or the club. Well, and you could tell me if this comparison is kind of wrong, but it seems to me it's almost like what the players club at like a casino does in like Las Vegas, you have a card and they can see how much you're winning. And eventually they're starting to upgrade you with, you know, maybe room or tickets to a show. It's the same kind of concept, correct? Absolutely. It's all affinity, right? And you get it, whether you use the right credit card at the same time, it's, it's, you travel on the same airline more often. Um, Yeah. And every business is trying to mine data as best they possibly can. This is just another way of doing that. Yeah, I guess it just makes it more fun for the user. Absolutely, then. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And, and 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 it it applies not just in the sports arena too, right? It's yeah. you know what I like to what I like to think of the Phoenix platform is a a platform that creates the opportunity for any content owner or rights holder to engage yeah. at a higher level with their fans or with their users. Sure. That makes sense. Well, and just even looking at, because you guys have obviously worked with some huge brands, but like the Oscars you have here, um, you have an auction company. So there's other people outside of sports using your technology. Do you maybe want to give us some of those other examples? Sure. We have, uh, we have a number of auction clients. And if you can imagine with, with live auctions, 
um, especially where people are on the uh, the auction house floor, right? Yeah. When people are online, they're competing with folks that are standing or sitting, you know, in the actual auction house, and you need to have an even playing field. So you need to deliver a real time stream, and that's the all the streams of everybody watching have to be completely synchronized. Right. So uh, we we power uh, Mannheim Auto Auctions, which is the the largest wholesale auto auction business in the world. We actually power the second one as well, called the Dessa. Um, right. We have uh, a number of other types of auction clients of ours. Um, it's also a really powerful platform for um, trivia. Uh, oh, trivia yeah. games, uh, things things like that used to be HQ. That was not one of ours, but but we power uh, trivia contests across the world. Um, we we power entertainment engagement type Q and A opportunities for for various uh, uh, customers. So there are there are a myriad of other types of use cases for interactivity engagement where scaling synchronization and real-time streaming are necessary very cool okay so how does it work if i'm a company or an event or something that wants to leverage your technology can i license it or or how does that work sure so our primary mode of interacting with our clients is through what we call a platform as a service okay so you essentially connect us to your video source and okay. we pretty much do the rest. We then take that video, we encode, transcode, deliver it to the, the ultimate, to the app that it's going to go to the end user. Um, and so, you know, we are essentially an end to end streaming solution okay. and we operate that platform on your behalf so that you don't have to worry about it being up or down. It, it's up 24-7 to the extent you have a 24-7 service or uh, on any other basis if you have a service that's less than 24-7. We also, though, uh, have more recently over the last year and change developed a, a license model and, uh, and an edge model, if you will, uh, where we can utilize a customer's um, own network Okay. And we can deploy our software, our software platform on that network to be operated by our customer. Those are for really very large scale right. potential customers um, where they have uh, an infrastructure that they want to leverage and they have the operational support necessary to be able to operate the technology and the platform you know, on a 24 by 7 basis. Got you. Okay. So how does it work though? Okay. So you mentioned the browser device. So obviously it can go to my iPad, it can go to my phone. Um, but is it branded like my company or is it yes. branded like you guys or how does that work? No. So it's a white label service. Uh, okay. So if, if you're a, you know, for example, if you're, you know, Meekum auctions, what, what their customers are seeing is the Meekum auction site. Right. And uh, we're just essentially the the technology and the plumbing powering that solution. Okay. And then how does uh, security play into all this? Because we all know that you can get pirated streams of a lot of these big events. Like, how do you guys kind of prevent that? 
Sure. So all of our all of the streams are encrypted. Uh, you know, we use state of the art encryption technology to ensure that uh, that all the streams are protected. Um, you know, we we issue keys and you know, various other uh, uh, techniques to uh, to ensure that only authorized users are getting access, both in terms of our customers' access to. Uh, and starting up of the streams, but also to the end users utilization of those streams. Okay. So is there a hardware component that plays into this or that's up to the customer when you're doing some of these live, you know, sporting events? Sure. So, so there is, there is a hardware component. There is some soft, it, it can be done with our encoder, which is okay. a, a Phoenix, uh, <sighs> A Phoenix encoder, which frankly is one that you know we've commissioned. Okay. Um, we don't build the hardware ourselves, uh, but we optimize our delivery of video over those uh, those encoder devices. But we also work with numerous other you know hardware manufacturers uh, to be able to deliver utilizing other hardware encoders. And so it, it, there's no requirement that you use ours. Um, we we obviously ensure with ours that you know our service is optimized, and so that's right. there's an advantage there. But for customers that have existing encoder farms, um, you know we we work with those to be able to deliver uh, a, a real time stream. Okay, so does the stream obviously if I'm on Wi Fi or whatever or I'm plugged in at home, fine. But how does it work on 5G or LTE. So, our um, <laughs> it's interesting. We're working, frankly, with a, a couple of providers now who are in the 5G realm uh, to try to take advantage more and more of that technology. Um, okay. One of our our more recent uh, customer wins, if you will, was a work that we've been doing with Verizon around 5G, and so um, Verizon. Uh, worked with the NFL to build a super stadium multi-camera angle app for okay. use in uh, the NFL stadiums uh, across the last two seasons, um, including the Super Bowl in each of the last two years. And uh, that app utilizes or is powered by the Phoenix real-time technology. Um, gotcha. It allows for uh, 5G users in the stadium to watch on their app and on a, Ver a Verizon NFL app. Uh, seven different camera angles of what's taking place on the field of play in real time and wow. allows the user to toggle between those angles. So you can imagine if you're sitting in the end zone uh, on one end of the stadium and there's a goal line stand on the other end, you know, it's very hard for you to see what's taking place on the field of play from, sure. from the seat that you're in. But you could have your 5G phone, uh, which obviously optimizes uh, the Phoenix real-time technology, and you can see from an overhead cam exactly what's taking place and not have to hear the roar of the crowd to be able to know that it was a touchdown or not. Um, and so there's a lot of different ways in which you know, our technology plays in that, in, in that sphere. Um, you know, in addition, we're, uh, you know, we have, I, mean, I, I guess I should have mentioned this before, we have an ABR technology, adjustable bitrate technology around what we do. So our platform optimizes for the, the bitrate that the end user is able to sustain. And so 
Um, and and that's a, that's a very from a technical perspective, you know, delivering in HLS or Dash where those decisions are being made not in real time, yeah, is is significantly easier than when you have to make those decisions in real time and ensure that the end user is still getting a complete uninterrupted stream. Uh, and so I, one of the things I always tell everyone is um, our technology is ridiculously complex okay. um, and requires you know some really, really amazing engineers to have built and to maintain. Yeah. Uh, but it allows us to to do a number of different things around protection of our tech, in particular around uh, the patent portfolio that we've built. So one example is that ABR uh, implementation that we've done that we have a patent around. Um, we also have a patent in the synchronization space. So you can also think about how, you know, if you've got folks delivering video in 20 seconds of latency or 30 seconds of latency, trying to sync up those streams should be a bit easier. However, you know, the world is what it is. Not only is latency a big problem in the, in, in the regular world, but so is drift, right? The difference yeah. between what you and I are seeing at the same time. Uh, to be able to do that in real time is even more difficult. And so th that has allowed us to, um, to get the patent office to issue us patents around that technology as well. Um, you know, everything we do, I, I say, is, is definitely more difficult. Um, when you think about doing ad decisioning, right? Ad yeah. decisioning, when you have 30 seconds of latency, is a piece of cake, right? Mm -hmm. Ad decisioning when you have sub half second of latency is no piece of cake. So yeah, we're, we're, yeah, we, we've uh, we're we're very fortunate in that you know we've got some really really brilliant minds who who built this platform, understand it, and have built it in a way that allows for all of these features and functionalities to be able to be implemented without losing the core value of what we bring. Right. Interesting. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I never thought about all the other issues that it causes by being live because there's nothing more live than sitting in the stands on my phone, watching what's happening right across the field from me. Right. And so it needs to be accurate. And then, yeah, if you're going to display anything like an ad or something or a coupon, it needs to be at the right time or it's just kind of annoying and people aren't going to use it. <laughs> exactly. Fascinating. Okay. So I, I'm curious then where does the technology go from here? Because obviously everything's getting a lot faster. Our smartphones are ridiculously insane with the technology that's in, inside them these days, but where do you guys take the technology next do you guys move into other verticals or or where do you go from here i think we're still at you know if you want to call this a baseball game we're still in the first inning okay um yeah i think that there are a huge number of other verticals that we can play in and that we will play in um again around sort of any kind of engagement interactivity but i i even think of things like which i believe is still years away for us is something like the metaverse yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly how Phoenix plays in the metaverse ultimately, but okay. if you think about what everyone focuses on with respect to the metaverse, 
you need a real-time video component and it 100%. needs to be completely synchronized. And if you're going to build a real metaverse, it's got to be at scale. So the three prongs or the three, the three legs of our stool are all essential for taking advantage of the metaverse, at least as, as, as I'm anticipating it and hearing how people are utilizing it. So um, I think there's a remarkable number of opportunities for Phoenix's technology to be significant you know, as, as we move into the next you know, five years. Yeah, because, well, you I didn't think of the metaverse wasn't the first thing that came to my head. Mine was like gaming, right? Because right, absolutely. But and, and it's that, basically so, the same thing. Absolutely. Right. So gaming is a big piece. That's an area we're focusing on now. Um, you know, the casino games. Yeah. Business is is a very interesting space. You know, there's there there's a lot of live dealer opportunities. And if you think yeah. about that, you know, you go onto a casino website and you're playing a live blackjack or baccarat or roulette um, with a live dealer, you want that to be synchronized and you want that to be in real time. Um, the other piece is the scaling there is a different kind of scaling. You have in yeah. some instances where there could be a lot of people playing on a table because they can play behind or on a roulette table, you can have an unlimited number of people playing. Yeah. But the other piece of the scaling is sort of the the, rather than the vertical, it's the horizontal, right? It's how many tables you can stream simultaneously right. from a source, yeah. right? And uh, I actually had the experience, frankly, of, of being uh, out of the country and getting COVID uh, just only a few weeks ago. Oh, I wound up uh, playing on a live dealer site while I was uh, convalescing in my hotel room. Okay. And was amazed at the the magnitude of, uh, of of games that are that are being that are taking place simultaneously, and the, the opportunities there for uh, for a company like Phoenix. Right. No, that makes sense. So, I'm I'm curious, is the technology there, or will it ever be there? Where, like, to use your casino example, is I can be virtually playing at the same table in I don't know casino in Vegas, for example where somebody's actually sitting physically at the table, but I'm, you know, in another country playing at absolutely. the exact same table. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right. I, I think there's, there's, there's clearly regulatory. Yeah. Okay. Issues that, that, that are beyond my ken, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah. But the tech's um, but, there. But the technology, it's no different than six of us playing from remote locations, right? Okay. One of those remote locations happens to be on site. It's yeah. on site. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't matter. Interesting. No. Okay, that actually makes it the technology, like obviously all the stuff we talked about with sports and live stuff is cool, but for people out there like thinking of business ideas to leverage the Phoenix technology for some sort of other gaming metaverse, whatever they come up with, I think is actually there's, fascinating. And there's plenty, of, there's plenty of other use cases, right? The medical profession has a whole yeah. host of different use cases where real-time synchronized streaming would be important. Education has that as well. Uh, you know, we saw a lot of interest around uh, remote learning as a result of the pandemic, but there's yeah. there's there are a lot of use cases, um, you know, remote proctoring of exams and things like that, where that has to be in real time. Um, there's I will I will tell you when I speak to prospects, clients and others, one of my my standard lines is, you know, I know what our technology is capable of. 
Yeah. You know your business way better than I do. And you're going to have, I'm, I may have two or three ideas on how you can use the Phoenix platform. You'll probably have 10 times as many ideas. Interesting. Because you know how, you, you know what your business is and you, you can envision how to utilize this sort of foundational technology to extend your interaction with your customers. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. So the medical thing got me thinking. So could you potentially do, like have a surgeon do surgery on the other side of the world because they're a specialist in something using yeah. the technology? Maybe not because there's all the legal issues around that probably, but from a technology perspective, you could probably do that then, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there. I think there is, there's use cases today where specialists are providing consultancy in a live operating setting. Um, right. The... The ability, though, to to do this at a, at a broader scale for you know medical education and various other things, I think is 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 ripe as well. Interesting. No, that's that's totally fascinating. So I'm curious: is there any other use cases that we haven't covered yet, just to get people thinking about how they could leverage the technology? Um. I'm sure I'm sure there are plenty of others. I, I one one I would like to mention, which we touched upon a bit, but I, I think it's uh, it's it's important to understand how much of a differentiator Phoenix is uh, from a okay. scaling perspective. Uh, one of our uh, biggest customers is uh, Stats Perform, which you may know is a is a big data and content provider in the sports world, uh, yeah. and their customer Racecourse Media Group, which owns and operates. 70 racetracks across the UK and Ireland. And we power uh, the delivery of video from all of their tracks um, through Stats Perform to bookmakers across the UK and Ireland. Um, they have a, uh, a festival that occurs every year in March. As a matter of fact, I'll be there in a couple of weeks at Cheltenham. Uh, it is the largest attended uh, horse racing festival in the UK. It's over four days. They have seven races a day. Cool. Last year, uh, empowering that festival, every single race we delivered to over 100,000 peak concurrent users with yeah. a couple of the races at half a million. Wow. Um, that scaling is unprecedented in the world of WebRTC. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, one of the things when I joined Phoenix was we hadn't done events that had scaled to that level before. And um, I had always heard sort of the pushback, which is WebRTC can't scale, right? right? And and that's that's a, a difficult hurdle to overcome when everyone in the space understands how WebRTC was built. Right. And therefore comes at you with the, the, the baseline understanding of your platform can't scale. Not that Phoenix can't scale, but yeah. what Phoenix is built on doesn't allow Phoenix to scale. So nobody can scale using right. WebRTC. And you know, we've been able to now, you know, break through that so that no one anymore says WebRTC can't scale. What what everyone says is, you know, WebRTC as intended to be implemented can't scale. Phoenix's yeah. WebRTC can scale. Interesting. So, so what's the cost of this? Like, it's or give us a range, or is it per usage, or how does how do you guys charge for this? So, for our platform as a service, we we 
pretty much have um, three pieces of our revenue stream. So the first one is, is a relatively small upfront onboarding, you know, fee uh, okay. that has, you know, a little bit of, to the extent there's a little bit of development, handholding and whatnot that takes place. But we, we try to keep that as low as possible so that we don't create a barrier to entry to our platform. And then we generally have a, a platform or license fee. Okay. And a, a scaling fee, which is a variable fee tied to uh, the amount of hours of content that, that are published and how many are delivered. Okay. Is there like so, a range for that? Like what's the onboard, what's the rough range of the onboarding? It, and really, kind of onboarding? it depends on, it depends on the cost, the size of the customer, the, the okay. scale of the, of, of the business that they have, um, the complexity of what they're trying to do. Okay. Um, some of the, some of the features and functionality that they want. And, um, but it's it, the onboarding fee is definitely a non-prohibitive one, uh, and what we are, uh, you know, what we do is, in, in my opinion, you know, something really special. So we're a little, we're a bit more expensive than you know a CDN who's delivering with HLS or Dash at you know thirty seconds or forty seconds of latency. Uh, but we're not, you know, and, and our customers will tell you, but we're not cost prohibitive. We are a bit more expensive because what we do adds a ton of value. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and you're doing something that they they can't do. Correct. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. But sadly, we're out of time. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about you guys and any other links you want to mention? So our website is phoenixrts.com, RTS for real-time streaming. Uh, Phoenix is P-H-E-N-I-X. It's the European spelling of Phoenix. Uh, so um, don't confuse us with the city in Arizona. Um, and, uh, you know, we're around 24, seven, 365. So, uh, you know, look forward to anyone with an interest in, uh, in delivering their content and engaging with their customer base in a much more interactive way. Perfect. Roy. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Oh, well, thanks a lot, Kevin. Appreciate the time and the opportunity. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.